welcome everybody to finally a new episode of the world's okayest mountain bike podcast and if you don't follow us on facebook follow us on facebook it's not that hard to find you can send us emails at what is our email address okayestmtb at gmail.com pretty sure that's it it's been a long time (laughs) since i've used it Oh, I've got it on my phone somewhere, but it's okayestmtb at gmail.com. So anyway, today we are going to talk as fast as we can about, so you want to race an enduro, what do you need to know? Now, this could be like a two hour long podcast, but we're not going to do that. Uh, If I feel like at the end of our time, there's just so much more to say, maybe I'll just do one by myself. I don't know. But before we get into that, I have a couple rants, a little upset do either of you know why I'm upset? Does it have something to do with about pe- about pedals again? What you, or tires? What are you mad about this time, Clinton? No, I'm not mad about tires anymore. I have found I have found my tire company. We're good there. Victoria Tires, Victoria.com. Uh, okay, MTB20. Okay, MTB20. But... Well, there's two things I'm upset about. First of all, I have no idea why. Oh, I. I just know that for some reason the date, August 10th, was in my head about Trek slash info. I don't know where I got that date from. I know some other people on the Pink Bike Forum had heard that too. And August 10th came and went, and there is no Trek slash info. And here we are on August 11th, everybody. Kyle, you even told me, oh, they like to drop stuff on Tuesdays. They like to give info out on Tuesdays. And here we are. They do. It's Tuesday afternoon. Nothing. I don't think like they when they do it on Tuesdays, it's not like you wake up in the morning and boom, it's there. I think like like they like to do like midday stuff or maybe even like dinner. Like grab your popcorn and sit down and check this out. I don't. Well, so I I so I have the inside information uh, on the bike and also the information stating that we uh, the for the public won't know much about the 2021 slash until September. Ooh. So, Kyle, are you saying there's an embargo? What do you mean? So you're saying we can't we can't talk about it? What you know? No. Oh no, no, we can't. You, we, you're gonna we, tell you, me, right? You two can speculate about what it might be. I cannot confirm or deny anything um, because I I've got a, my 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 buddy. Uh, I'll throw I'll throw his name out, but my um gave me a couple pieces of info on it and, and not even anything definitive just like hey here's what here's what we're here's what it'll here's what it might look like <laughs> and that's well, no pictures no 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 just very very simple stuff about the bike uh it's nothing any different than what's been uh talked about previously but yeah we the, the new model information won't be dropping to the public till september for pity's sake well we won't talk about it here we don't want to get anyone in trouble I mean, dollars to donuts, it's going to have a 38 or a Zeb on it, depending on what model you are, you know, at least the higher end models for sure. You think so? You think, they, you think they're going to oh, go with a big fork on it? Definitely. No doubt about that. I just want to know, Kyle, is the frame changing on the Remedy? I still don't know. And I know nothing about the Remedy because I am looking for a replacement for my current Remedy 9.9. So I am I am desperately hunting information on the Remedy 9.9 for 2021 as well. Um, the 20 the 9.8 colors have dropped and one of the colors looks amazing, um, but the uh, there's no information on the 9.9. And now if it's anything like the 9.8, the 9.8 frame so far as I can tell is pretty much unchanged from 2020. Um, but there's no information on the 9.9 yet. And Trek usually doesn't do a new frame for one model in a lineup. Um, but I, you know, the reason why I, I'm slightly curious this year is that there's no, there is information on the nine, eight on the eight, 9.7, but there is nothing out there on the 9.9 yet. So it has me wondering. Well, nothing, it's gotta be the 9.9 or nothing. So when I race, borrow your bike and race again, big hitters class, uh, undefeated <laughs> at the moment, undefeated, I have to be on a nine, nine, you know, I won't settle for anything less. Right, but here's, yeah, when you borrow when you borrow steal my bike. Borrow steal, yeah, exactly. Uh anyway, I have a rant. Another because one. I'm sick of mountain bikers thinking that what was good for the nineteen eighties is good for twenty twenty. It's ridiculous. But people who act like it's a scripture, like it's one of the Ten Commandments, 
that uh, forever and always and never shall it change, that uh, the uphill rider should always get the right of way and not have to move over at all, even if they can for downhill riders on multi-directional trails, is an outdated, outmoded, impractical, defies the laws of physics, stupid rule. Now, I'm okay with the rule being downhill riders should do their best to you know, slow down and give space and all that, that's fine. But this, the, the laws of physics say this rule makes no sense. It makes yeah, well, no and, sense. And, and I don't know if I can, I, I do agree with it only because, I, but the whole, um, not all the way there, only because I did start mountain biking 15 years ago, back when this was, this was the standard. So when I, came up through mountain biking etiquette and learned about mountain biking etiquette 15 years ago, that's what I was taught is that uphill always has the right of way. Now, with that said, guys weren't doing 39 miles an hour down single track down a hill 15 years ago. Yeah. I think that's where, where it is. It, it needs to be different because there's a, there's a huge inherent danger. Now I agree too that, you know, when necessary or, or when possible, if you if you are not just blazing down a trail downhill, that you should try and move to the side uh, and let that climber keep working. Um, but it's it poses a, a grave danger to the downhiller too. And um, you know then you're going to get people that argue, well, they should just slow down going downhill. Well, like no. yeah, well that's I agree. They should. <laughs> they sh- uh, the downhill riders should do all they can to be safe. Right. But if right. if someone is uphill and they're going to like get super big on it. Well, it's my right. I've got the right away and not do anything to get over. They're going to get hit because it takes not much effort on these modern bikes. You don't have to be going for a Strava KOM. You can just be cruising. You know, you could just be sitting on your seat and still maintain a ton of speed on a mellow trail. And this, the here's, I know we're going to lose listeners over this, but I don't care. We're doing this for fun anyway. But this line, if you can't, get stopped in time or whatever you're not in control is the dumbest thing i've ever heard in my entire life like i've got we're not uh i I can't even think of anything in the real world that stops that fast like richie rude might have the greatest bike control on the planet but if he's going like 20 miles an hour and comes around a corner where you can't really see um he can't stop in five feet because inertia, gravity, uh, if the trail's a little loose, rocky, like, I don't care how hard you pull your brakes. Just because you can't stop instantly doesn't mean you're out of control. So, I don't know. I guess these guys, they need to get hats that say, keep mountain biking slow, or make mountain biking slow again. Maybe that's what they need to do. They can wear their make mountain biking slow hats again. We could all ride, like... Their rigid rigid 26ers. We could all ride like people. Uh, so a year or two ago, I did the the Battle of Berryman, and I only did one lap, but it was like this 26-mile loop. And I was on my slash, so not exactly a cross-country bike. But I remember on the descents, I was literally not, no zero pedaling, seat down, but still I was sitting on my seat coasting, and I having to be on both brakes to keep from running into people. They were going so slow down these mellow descents and i'm like i'm sorry but you cannot expect everyone who rides a mountain bike to ride like that in 2020 it's not practical it's not the way the sport's going shoot in other so in arkansas there are two-way trails that have features meant to be jumped or dropped on two-way trails and if you're Let's say well, I'm gonna I'm gonna appeal to Kyle here because I know how he loves static drops. But if you're like three feet from the edge of a drop and there's someone up the hill that you couldn't see, they could probably hear you riding. Uh, get out of the way because you're already committed. Or jump like the downhill rider is committed to that obstacle, and you cannot just stop because oh, here comes someone up the hill. So that's my rant. You know, you can email us, tell me we're wrong. We'll probably read it on the air. Okay, it's mtb at gmail.com. But we, we need some listener emails to read on the air. Does this get me any bro points, by the way? 
No, yeah, that that is that is the brilliant statement I've heard you make. Aside from buying a uh, a pink swirly bike. <laughs> well, look, it's I, honestly, I swear, it's not about Strava. It's not about sitting it or whatever. I'm just thinking purely in practical. Just way the world actually works. You can you can continually go against the grain and be mad and try to stay you know keep the rule how it was or you can be like you know what these bikes are amazing now they go through anything no problem and people are just cruising down hills a lot faster and it's fine so if i hear i'll just say if i'm climbing up the hill and i hear a bike coming down i'm getting out of the way i don't care what my right you know if i'm supposed to have the right away i'm just going to be smart so that i don't get hit no, now that's so. That's the other statement too. Is that I do as a climber frequently yield to anybody coming down the hill every time. Now, I don't expect a climber to get out of my way every time I'm descending. But as a climber, I'm always. I never take. I never assume that I have the right of trail on a climb. Right. I. That's. I think that's the smart way to go. So that being said, it's just time to stop saying the opposite of that just because that's what we've always done i right. think it's just everybody be cool on the trail let's all be cool to each other yeah hey if we both pull off and then we get to say hey thanks for moving out of the way and and enjoy your ride all good right now now does it does it change anything if the climber yells strava as you're coming up on them heck no oh, no <laughs> if you can hear them oh, no. that's the other thing look going downhill fast on most bikes is a noisier affair and I'll just say, like, if you are climbing and you can hear the bashing of a bike coming down the trail, even if you can't see them yet, just don't be stupid. Like, you know they're coming. And if they're, especially if there's a corner coming up, if you can hear them, they probably can't hear you or know that you're there. So you need to just be smart and get off the tracks while the train's coming. It doesn't, I mean... It doesn't like the guy coming down the hill might be totally cool. And like when he sees you might do everything he can to slow down and get over. That's all great. But gosh, people just accept the world for what it actually is and not what you want it to be. So anyway, I guess we can move on from the rant. We need to get a sponsor for these rants. Like yeah, uh, Pul Pultimex the has the, the race tech rant of the night. All right, Quentin. So, so what are we talking about today? Then, now that you're now that you're off your uh, your pedestal. Okay. So, like I said, we could probably talk about this for hours, but we're gonna try to to keep it short. So, what I'm gonna do, uh, and we'll elaborate on them because I think we can. I'll save mine for last because I don't want there to be overlap. But Kyle, you've raced one enduro, right? Just one. Two. two, two. Okay, Ryan's done a couple. Uh, he's finished one. <laughs> finished one. Race he's three. finished one. He's been in three. But you could, I mean, really, all it takes is racing one literally one time. To, when in the learning curve is pretty steep, um, especially if you're at a, a place that's got some sharp rocks or is uh, you've got to be more self-sufficient and can't get back to your vehicle. So let's just let's start with three. So. Kyle, we can start with you, and then we'll go to Ryan, do one, one. You, you guys are each going to give me three. You can phrase it as something I wish I had known before my first enduro, or something I wish I had taken with me, or uh, just any kind of tip for someone brand new. And uh, once we get through your six, we'll see where our time's at, and maybe we'll keep going, maybe we won't. So if, if either of you has one off the top of your head right now that you... <clears throat> for sure want to go I'll, to you let's go i'll go so as like so this, this is a conundrum for me because like i'm a semi-recovering weight weenie um that started riding 160 mil bikes so uh it doesn't those two things don't really play that well together but for a longest time i was riding 140 mil 29ers that came in at like 24 25 pounds uh and bikes have been getting bigger and heavier throughout the years whereas they spent a lot of years getting lighter and then around 2015, they all started getting heavier again. So I, my my remedy from 2015 was a Remedy 
with carbon cranks. And that bike weighed 25 and a half pounds, 29 or full deal. So I loved cross country tires, the cross country casing tires. So I liked a heavy, back then they were called trail tires, I guess, but it was a heavy duty tread on a cross country casing. Um, so I ran Bontrager Maxis and stuff like that, but I liked having like a 700 gram tire, 800 gram tire. Uh, one, because it spins easy and it, it, the bike moves because the bike moves quick and it feels nimble. However, uh, that tire is not conducive at all to racing any kind of an enduro uh, with any kind of luck. And so I flatted, I flatted on a climb my first enduro, uh, and then pre-ride, I wasn't it? Pre-ride, you're right. Pre-ride yeah, no, day. I think Ryan up. did the same thing on pre-ride day at his first because I was there. I was there for both of them. Yeah, and, it, and, it, and it's a tire that I'd run forever. I'd never had any really any trouble with it aside from normal basic stuff. You know, like yeah, if you slash on a rock, it's gonna break. But what I learned is there's a reason why you guys run 1,200 gram tires, and I never understood it until that day. Uh, so I, I was able to get it fixed. I did race with a tube that day, uh, and I did okay. But from every race since then, uh, I've run enduro casing tires. I haven't had any semblance of a flat puncture or anything since then, actually. And it, so that was that was one of the things I learned. And the other thing is, is that no matter how fit you think you are, you're never in race shape. As a 35-year-old dad, like, it just doesn't happen. And so I, I next the next one, I, I, I hope to bring a lot more fitness than I brought last time. All right. We'll, we'll get to fitness later. but. Yeah, the general rule on tires is um, no matter how much energy you think you're going to save and have for the stage because of your light tires, it will never be more time-wise than it takes to fix a flat or the time that a flat costs you. Like you'll never, you'll never make up the time from flatting a stage in energy savings. If that makes sense. No, um, right. Not a chance. And to kind of touch on Kyle's comment about fitness a little bit although maybe we're going to get into that in a bit what i think is important to bring is an experienced friend Mm. because me being a former cross-country racer i would have been like on all the transfer stages my first race like grinding up the hills and just killing myself but everybody's like nah dude we're not timed on this like just cruise and chill so i think it's important to have somebody that is experienced to go with you and to tell you like, Hey, chill out here. or Here's this stage. Here's, here's some of the things that you need to be prepared with. So I think the number one thing is bring a buddy. Yeah. Well, how about a buddy who tells you, you, you should eat some sugar, just some straight up sugar. I was waiting for the, waiting for the still, you still need some sugar. <laughs> still can't. So this is a story that will live forever because usually I'm wrong about things and this probably had zero to do with Ryan's crash, but I'm always going to say it did no matter what he says. Uh, we were at Eureka Springs 2018. Oh, this is my first crash at Eureka Springs. Yeah. 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 (laughs) And it was day two, (laughs) beginning of day two and we left the hotel and, uh, I had, I don't know, I had snacks and stuff with me like Gatorade shoes. And I don't remember what I ate that morning for breakfast. But I remember we went to uh, we went through McDonald's and Ryan got some oatmeal, like an oatmeal thing. And like that was it for starting the morning for the day of racing. And uh, we got to the first or second stage, second stage. You had some coffee. Yeah. And I had like <laughs> some chews, you know, that's those gate, you know, cliff, cliff blocks, whatever. It's all the same. It's all monosaccharide, simple sugars, because in enduro. Yeah, you're chilling on the transfers, but when you're in the stage, it's it's 100% pretty much effort. And when your body's running 100% effort, your heart rate's you know near its max. Your body can't isn't going to be using fat um, or even complex carbs for energy at that point. Uh, at least according to all these podcasts I listen to with people who actually know what they're talking about. And you need simple sugars. Like, that's what your brain, that's what everything is going to be running off in the stages. Now, I, he said, you know, so Ryan, defend yourself. But I feel like you, you told me before that stage that you just weren't feel like, you just weren't feeling good. Like, you're, I, I'm trying to remember your exact quote, but said, it was something like, you ever remember in motocross having those days where it's just like, you just didn't feel like you were all there? And I was going, no, because... 
I'm a fatty and I always ate sugar. I guess that's why I never had those days. <laughs> and then I do the stage and then I wait for like half an hour thinking Ryan should be right behind me. And he never came because he was broke off. <laughs> I, I, had bad. A, I had a sugarless brain fart. So I'm not saying go train with a lot of sugar by all means eat much better than me for your training, get lean, get mean, but on race day, on race day, bring the simple sugars in whatever form you like them. Uh, <laughs> that's my... I, I can't argue. Uh, you finish more races than me, bud. <laughs> <laughs> no arguments. <laughs> I just need to lay off them, you know, the other, let's see, you know, 350-something days of the year when I'm not in a competition. That's what I needed. <laughs> Yeah, same. Okay. Uh, so I'll, I'll give one again. This is sort of related, but um, hydration. I think pre-planning uh, what you're going to do is key because in my life, I've never dealt with cramps until just the last couple of years. But um, figuring out you need the electrolytes like, and planning way ahead for big days uh, is key. So for example, last year at the Bella Vista Enduro, it was in July and it was like upper nineties, like heat index was over a hundred. And I think we had like an 18 mile day. And so I went in with a plan. So I had a bottle on my bike, a bottle, uh, in my hip pack. And then not only in both of those had a hydration mix. One bottle had scratch labs, which is like electrolytes with a little bit of sugar um but just like a normal electrolyte drink and then the other bottle was electrolytes and bcaa's which should i don't know if it's really true or not but they say it helps with fatigue as the day gets longer in your muscles i don't really know if that's true but i also know it i don't feel bad when i drink it so i'm just gonna roll with it so i had those mixed up and i drank every 15 minutes no matter what didn't matter if I felt thirsty or not. Apparently, if you feel thirsty, you're behind the curve anyway. And then not only that, but I had more of that powder in little Ziploc bags in my pockets so that when those bottles were gone and I got to a hydration station, I could mix up more bottles and keep the uh, electrolytes going. And then also probably threw in a pickle juice like in the middle of the day, which is just disgusting. I can't stand mm, it, but so good. I don't. I don't want cramps, so. Delicious. I would say looking at the course map and being able to see, okay, uh, is this a long day where we're, you know, the first hydration station is going to be 10 miles away? Or is it somewhere like, you know, we race the Chubb Enduro? Well, shoot, for all but one transfer, I could go back to my truck between stages. So I didn't have to carry a bunch of water with me and that extra weight. It was like carry a bottle, half a bottle go get a drink after each stage keep the weight off the bike and yeah well and some of the some of the enduros too like the one one that i did uh it was the call it was the uh ews qualifier in arkansas that, that we did that, that was a pretty well supported race too so i mean i think it was every other every other stage you had access to water refill and stuff like that not you're not at your own car but they had it set up like at the stage entrance gotcha and that's what I planned for. Cause I only carried a single bottle that whole day. Nothing on the bike, just bottle for the day. And I, I did okay hydration-wise. All right, Ryan, give us another tip. Oh, I guess it's got to be gear, right? Especially if it's your first enduro. Like, hopefully you're bringing a full face. Hopefully you got yeah. knee pads, elbow pads, maybe even spine protector or something like that. Okay, um, I have a note on. I have a note on gear actually, because uh, I made the mistake. When you're on a transfer. Uh, transition stage and you're uh, you're pushing your bike and you got your helmet off and your goggles off be real cognizant of what your goggles are rubbing on while you're pushing your bike I ruined the lens on a hundred dollar pair of goggles so the on the first day that I ever wore them because I was stupid and just hung my goggles on my bars and didn't realize that the lens was like rubbing on the top of my fork cap the entire stage that I pushed up oh and the lens, the lens was one of those like $65 rose colored prismic, you know, super special edition from Smith. And so I ruined a hundred dollar pair of goggles essentially in a, in a, in a one hour 
in, in a one-hour window of pushing my oh, bike. Oh, that sucks. I'm so, that... so mad. I bought them literally for that race. Like, did my research, figured out what ones breathed the best, what had the best lens. Like, bought the best possible thing I could and ruined them on the first transition. <laughs> yeah, so what's – so I'm glad you mentioned goggles. I To me, goggles are a uh, non-negotiable, uh, but you do have to take yeah. care of them. I remember I had – for Chubb, I – you know, it was wet and everything. I had three pair of goggles in like big Ziploc bags with shop towels in there so I could switch them out and keep them dry and keep them in a pocket. It's part of that pre-planning. But what's what's your go-to gear? I, you know, full face, definitely, uh, and knee pads. I Personally, I'm an elbow pad guy. I think there's no reason not to run elbow pads. Um they don't weigh much, and you can take them off between stages to keep cool, you know, slide your knee pads down, and just throw your elbow pads in a pocket. Like, they're more like sleeves. They're not like hard plastic, the ones I have. I think I have, like, the Fox Enduro Pro. I'm not even sure. But when you crash a bike, I mean, I feel like you're more likely to to slide onto your arms and elbows as you— it depends what your favor is, man. So, like, I can count the number of times on me, on one hand in my entire cycling career that I've ever skinned an elbow. Because when really? I crash, I just don't favor the elbow. I've blown my shoulder apart probably three or four times and had it put back together with surgery once. So, I, I, I every time I crash, I favor my left side of my head and my shoulder. My, my elbows are always totally fine. What about you, Ryan? Are we, are we elbow pads or no elbow pads? Oh, I wear elbow pads. I wear knee pads. I'm going to be wearing hip pads. I'm going to be wearing a spine protector because when I crash, every part oh, of my you. body hits multiple times. Uh, you might want to look at an exoskeleton at this point, man. I was going to say, yeah. Ryan so, needs a bear suit. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of not a fair question, I guess. <laughs> I need you know, it all. Yeah. It's weird. I, I'll, I'm, I'm definitely a proponent of elbow pads on the mountain bike. I don't wear them when I ride motocross, though. But yeah, yeah, so that's interesting, Clinton, because I don't either. But I, I will say, like, man, gear is so good these days. Like, even if I think back 10 years to, like, I wasn't even mountain biking 10 years ago quite yet. But, but like, motocross, like, the gear is just way better, you know. And, like, I can wear yeah. my enduro elbow pads now on my dirt bike. But yeah. there's, like, almost, you know, comfort is not really an issue anymore. So, I, like, anybody that says, oh, they're just not comfortable to me. It, other than maybe heat and, and even at that they're so thin like i mean this stuff's as thin as like an under armor type moisture wicking t-shirt it's just for me it doesn't make a, a ton of sense and like i guess unless you're like kyle and you don't really don't hit your elbow like that's fine but if no and it, for me it's it's aesthetic for me too man like remember when we were kids in like the 90s and nobody wanted to wear helmets because it looked silly like to me like elbow pads <laughs> just look ridiculous to me like so i now now with that said I rate anything I'm racing aside from a cross country race. I'm, I'm, I'm long sleeve. So now I do, I do long sleeve jerseys every enduro or, or enduro downhill or BMX race. So I'm short. I'm my gear is shorts, shorts and knee pads, long sleeve Jersey, uh, full face and goggles and gloves. Yeah. We, the three of us have the weird thing going on. You're always long sleeves. Kyle. Actually, I thought you were three. Which one of you is three quarter sleeve guy? I do. Ryan. Yeah. We have the same exact Jersey. But mine's short sleeve, Ryan's is three quarter, Kyle's is long, same jersey. <laughs> but then I'm taking the elbow pads, and like I said, on transfers because they they can be hot, and if it's a hot day, like you want to maximize your body's ability to stay cool, you just take them off and literally slide them in the front pocket of your shorts, and it's fine. Like they don't weigh anything. There's, to I'll be honest, man. Like Shepherd Mountain. I say this all the time. It's truly changing my priorities of like what I think about, like things I need to buy or the kind of bike I want or the setup I want. And I, I do not like riding that one trail they have built that black. It might, we might label it a double black cause there's some mandatory stuff. I literally ride slower and more scared when I don't have elbow pads on. It is a, it's on my mind because there are some there's just rocks everywhere and i just i can't imagine crashing and not hitting my elbow on a rock 
I don't see how I could do that. <laughs> Clinton, Kyle, you there? About, he looks half frozen. About Shepherd. So you yeah, know, you go keep for talking it. Talking like how it's going to change your mind and your thinking on what you need. Mm-hmm. I mean, where do people need to be? You know, for for that for that park. I mean, is it is it depending on skill level, or should everybody be on a 160, 170 travel bike? Oh, that's interesting. Well, okay, let's let's we Maybe can make this one of our uh, if you want to, but we could definitely make this one of our um, points here. Is do some research on where you're going beforehand, if at all possible, because. There you go. An enduro at uh, Kohler Bike Preserve or, Bell, or uh, the Back 40 at Bella Vista and an enduro at Shepherd Mountain are going to be completely different animals. Sure. Um, so I would say, you know, look at at stage profiles from if they've had a race before or whatever. Now, somewhere like Shepherd, I think, um, you know, one of the bigger deals there is going to be, you're going to want a bike that's slack. I don't necessarily think you need, you know, 170 mil fork. Uh, it won't hurt. That's for dang sure. Because, you know, for most of these runs, it's, it's going to be the first place, you know, let's say we have an enduro race there in the future. It's going to be the first enduro I've ever been at that I feel like is going to be one off the brakes and in the corners more than it's going to be one in the legs. Uh, well, at least for the, the, the pro and the expert classes. Um, you know, I've tried to make some fast runs down the run that's there and you quit pedaling in the first, you know, you kind of pedal at the very top. It's mellow, but the whole middle section, you don't pedal. Even at the bottom, you don't pedal like, but you're more tired than, than most runs where you do just because you've got to stay in attack position and your legs are working um, your upper body, you're on the brakes hard. And so I think to me, you know, if I was going to recommend a bike for someone who lives in St. Louis and primarily rides those, but also wants something at Shepard, to me, the head angle is probably more important than necessarily the travel numbers. Um, you know, I've, I've watched a, a good rider go down this trail, no problem, uh, on a giant trance. 115 130 but i think it's like a 66 degree head angle or something it's i you know it's a good rider a really good rider can go down the trail on just about anything but you know there's a difference between uh thriving and surviving and this could be a rant for another you know podcast where we rant about how much bike do you quote unquote need uh but that's a dumb question because it's more like what, you know, how comfortable do you want to be? How smooth do you want it to feel? All those things matter. But I would say getting that 66 degree or slacker head angle is good. If you have, if you can make your bike slacker or less slack, put, put that sucker in the slack setting uh, for somewhere like Shepard. But if you're racing like at Chubb Enduro or somewhere in Northwest Arkansas, you know, if I go racing enduro down in Arkansas, I'm going to flip mine back to the high setting because there's a lot of pedaling and I feel like uh, I'd benefit more from less pedal strikes and better pedaling than um, being comfortable when the things turn steep. So yeah, research yeah, ahead I, yeah. where you're going. Yeah, I still haven't put my I still haven't put my bike back in the low setting yet. I, I figured I'd get one ride on it before I I switch that back after you rode it. I haven't I haven't put anything with the suspension either. Yeah, you Kyle. you adjusted everything in my bike. You you changed literally the only thing that was on there was it was like the parts were the same when I got them back, but that was it. Literally, so I, I borrowed Kyle's bike for a cross country race in St. James at Forest City, because they had a class they're calling Big Hitters, which I hope to see this become like just a normal staple of Missouri cross country races. Uh, but it's throw, a class for people. The Indian, yeah. the Indian camp Creek challenge coming up in August is going to have a big hitters class in it as well. That's right. And all you, all you enduro bros have a shot because I can't be there. I'll be, I'll be out and unable <laughs> to attend. So, you know, I remain undefeated, but I borrowed Kyle's remedy because my suspension was at trail labs and, uh, I got on his bike. I literally changed every setting on the bike. I flipped the Mino link. I raised the brake levers. I adjusted the bite point of the brake levers. 
uh, tire pressure, suspension pressure, uh, suspension clickers on the fork. I literally changed every setting on the bike except for the angle of the handlebars, like how they're rotated in the clamps. I left those. I swapped the saddle, saddle uh, seat post height. Saddle. Did you did you put new grips on it too? I should have. My hands went numb with your stupid little child grips. Kyle runs handlebar <laughs> grips made for children. As far as I can tell, they were I like, I like, like holding on to a broomstick. I like a thin grip. <laughs> so no, so yeah. So I had to. It took, it took me a half hour. It's like it's like driving somebody. It's like when somebody drives your car, and then you got to figure out where your seat was again. So I, I took me a half hour of going through and playing with the bike, and so I haven't messed with the suspension yet. I'm gonna ride it and see what I think. How big of how much how, how much stuff did you change on the suspension? Like was it drastic? Uh, was it super <laughs> drastic? No, I it wasn't drastic. You probably wouldn't even notice. Um, you might notice the increased a little bit of air pressure, but I don't think you'd notice on the fork. Now, did you put more air pressure in the shock too? Because I run a stiff shock. Yeah, I did, but I'm fat. I'm heavier than you, so. Uh, I think I'm heavier. Than, I have to be heavier than you by you, at you least were, ten pounds. I'm, at I'm, least I'm ten pounds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd say probably closer to fifteen than ten. Um, but yeah, I'm it was fine. My, that bike worked pretty well for that race. Now let's yeah, talk about tires real quick. I'm not going to get into oh, it heavy. Oh, but it goes. It it connects with that research where you're going. Um. Because I'm going to say something, and you guys are going to be shocked when I say it. All right? But I don't believe you always need, like, a downhill or even, quote, like, enduro casing tire, depending on where you're at. Certainly, I don't think if if you don't want to swap tire, like, if that's what you've already got on your bike, run it, boo-boo. But um, if the terrain... If there's not a bunch of sharp, pointy rocks, which is hard to say, and and if you're running an insert, then you might be able to get away with like XO plus for Maxis or you know, I've now, I've I've been smashing into rocks square edge trying to kill this Martello rear tire that I have on my bike at Shepherd, and I can't like the rocks there aren't that sharp though. They're big. They are pretty square, but they're the edges are not sharp. Like somewhere like in Oklahoma at the O Rock or even like the little pointy rocks. Um, of course, I might eat my words because I had a Mazza on the rear and I was riding with Ryan at Zombie, just pedaling along and poked a hole straight in the top of one. So this might be bad advice. I don't know, but to me, that just really comes in plan ahead. If if it's a place where anybody says, "Oh, I got a flat there," just go ahead and throw on a thick casing. Yeah. Now that, with that said, like, like you've referenced Kohler as being a pretty mellow ride spot, and of course, Kohler is one of my favorite spots because I love jumps and flow trail. But one of the only flats I've had in the past three years was at Kohler. Yeah, it's sneaky. Like, there's little, there's. Little sharp on, pointy rocks. On cease and desist, actually. Cease and desist uh, slash uh, drop the hammer. That was, that was where I got my flat. It wasn't on rock solid or rock soft. It was on uh, cease wow. and desist and rock solid. It's like, or, uh, it's like a, a highway. Maybe I have. I don't know what I call it. It's bad advice, probably. I don't know. Maybe it's because I have some inserts in these tires and it's just helping. But I am definitely not picking my lines to save tires right now. And they're working all right, so... The, the debate is when I do finally wear wear out my rear tire, which what do I go for with the next one? Do I step it up to a heavier, thicker casing or run what I ah. – we better not get into that. We'll suck up all the time. All right, let's talk about uh, – let's talk about, like, gear setup, tools. Uh, do you bring an extra tube? Do you just bring plugs? And I've, I've heard a couple different theories on this. Some people, I guess if they're hyper-competitive, it's like, well, if you flat – or you break something like your race is over, you're not going to do very good. So you might as well pack it up and just run, go light, you know, take as little as possible with you. But then the other part of me is like, I've been to some races where if you break something, you might be at a stage where you're several miles from 
being able to get access point to either get back to the pits or get a ride back. So you might want to have stuff with you to fix what you've got just so you can either finish the race or at the very least, like get back home without having to literally walk the entire way, pushing your bike. So what's the, what's the theory on that one, boys? I mean, I always have a multi-tool and a tube and some air. So, I mean, I don't, I don't think anybody ever, does anybody ride a mountain bike all that stuff? I mean, yeah, people do. So, like, I've, I've condensed my kit. So, I used to ride – I was a camelback guy for, like, 12 years. I started riding a long time ago. So, I rode – I've been on a camelback up until, like, two or three years ago now. And so, I kept a pump in my in there, a, a tube, snacks. I used to keep all kinds of stuff. And so, I kind of condensed for my first enduro race when, when we did it uh, a couple of years ago. And so, I'm down to a single CO2 on a mini – on a little mini micro nozzle um, with – a, a pretty a pretty standard multi-tool but it's got it, it's a multi-tool with a chain tool in it i've never used it i can't imagine never needing it but uh, it's on there it's nice and light it's a nice little like crank brothers tool and then um i do keep a tube and plugs and patches so, so i'd rather i'd rather i'd rather plug or patch than put a tube in but i do have a tube i usually on race day i carry a tube normal riding just patch and plugs right so if you're if you're really serious about being a weight weenie or um, you just want to be that guy, because I have been this guy. In fact, I was this guy the last time Ryan and I rode together. <laughs> but here's the move. You ready? You figure out if any of your buddies are packing all that stuff, and right. you just stick with them, <laughs> and then you borrow their stuff when you if you need it, I got which I, I got needed a plug in CO2, and CO2 last time Ryan and I rode. Now, if I'm by I myself, feel like, I always have that, I, I feel like I'm the guy, I'm the support crew for every every ride I go on. I can't tell you how many times I've used my tubes, plugs, or, or patches for other people's stuff. I've never actually needed them for mine, hardly ever. Um, and then even on race day, I'll, like, I'll, do, I'll throw in a small amount of sealant, like a little one-ounce or two-ounce tube of, or, uh, of, of sealant, too, I'll, I'll keep in there. Oh, wow. So, here's – I – so, it, honestly – it just depends on where the race is. You know, at Chubb, I don't think I carried much. I think I only had one water bottle, maybe had a multi-tool in a pocket. Um, but I knew, like I said, I knew, well, shoot, if I need to fix fix something, I literally can get back to my truck between every single stage. So right. I don't need to carry extra water. I don't need to carry really any extra weight. Um especially considering we were already like you know soaking wet and had like Kyle's jacket on that I kept for like another month after the race was over and <laughs> all this other do stuff. I, do I did you give that back to me? Do I have Yes, that I gave that back. I think <laughs> pretty sure I gave it back. I know I did. Uh so let's we're we're not we won't call it training necessarily we'll just call it minimum practice you know if you've never raced enduro let me just prepare you for the shock because even though enduro the stages are supposed to be quote downhill um if you're in the midwest or the south if you're in texas arkansas missouri um probably wisconsin uh, Michigan, probably wherever they have Enduros um, that are not out east in the Appalachians or west in the Rockies, except for Ironton, because I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of pedaling when we race there someday on the stages, at least. You need to understand that it is not you're not racing like downhill racetracks when they say downhill in some cases like Kohler. Pretty much all that means is that your starting elevation is higher than your lower, your ending elevation, but you need to be prepared to pedal like it's a BMX race, um, except longer. <laughs> so much longer. <laughs> you know, I've only ever pedaled like that for like 45 second BMX laps, and I uh, I was well well underprepared to understand how much stand up pedaling sprinting I was going to have to do to be yeah, competitive. Yeah, good practice would be go to the BMX track do a lap and immediately keep riding back to the starting gate as fast as you can and do two more laps that way without stopping. 
you might that might be good training. <laughs> well, just to, yeah, man. I think like Kohler in, in Arkansas, you're usually looking at two and a half, two two to three minute stages. Um, so if you're just riding your local trails wherever, maybe you don't have access to like downhill trails or whatever. Get a stopwatch, hit the go button, and literally just go ride as hard as you can for about three minutes, and take a rest, and uh, do that like four or five more times in a ride and that will definitely help get you prepared more than just like riding um, as far as the physical strain and then skills wise learn how to learn how to actually do everything you can to go around and come out of corners with speed I'd say would be the main thing Um, that was a huge weakness of mine when I started racing because coming from motocross background i was braking way too late like i would be coming into turns at mach 5 but then come out of them with like zero speed and have to pedal really hard missing the motor yeah um ryan what can you tell us about uh only going as fast as the course will allow why'd you call (laughs) me out on that one (laughs) (laughs) no there's really only one thing it is jumps if just beware if you're riding at a bike park that has like jumps on a flow trail uh dial that speed in and and pre-ride and then just hit them that fast (laughs) yeah that was always my pre-ride's very key but but even that can be tough like you know where i crashed and broke my hip last year still we pre-rode it but you know, just the memory didn't serve me right. I guess maybe I didn't have my sugar that morning. <laughs> must have been it. That must have been it. Must have been it. That was that was always my hardest thing about racing was that I, I no matter whether I was pre-riding or what I was doing, I could never get myself to practice at the pace at which I was going to go when the gun when the gun went off. Like no matter what, like it, the BMX track is the only place I can do that because like they actually run a full gate, like where they'll run, you know, like a normal uh, NBL ABA gate every, every, every single lap. So like you got used to the cadence and everything like that. So you could, you know, and, and that track is fast enough where you have to give it all to make it all the way around. But when it comes to mountain biking, I, I was doing so much riding where it was just very casually. I just want to go ride with my friends, kind of chat with them on the trail ride the fast stuff fast, the slow stuff slow, never really try to link any of that stuff together. Like ride the ride as slow as you possibly could to get to the fun stuff and then ride that fast as fast as it was fun. But that's so different than what race pace is. And so even in my head, pre-riding, I would enjoy, I would, I would ride the trail at an enjoyable pace, hit features, enjoy the ride. But when the gun went off the next morning, like that was, it was a totally different pace and I could never train myself to practice as fast as I race. And that, that led to crash and injury for me as well too early, early in my career, which is why I just don't race much anymore. I, I think, I think, I, I mean, I, I'll admit like, like I probably was riding over my head, you know, in those instances, but, but it's not that those are features that I'm not capable of doing. You guys both. Oh yeah. It's, no. it's more just forgetting oh. what, what features coming up. Cause not having the trail knowledge or the memory of, of, of that, that specific, uh, stage or trail yeah and i know at at bigger races honestly they they stay away from like those kind of features especially like flow trail jumps that are very speed specific and poppy um so that's not usually a part of something that you're going to find on an enduro course anyway um another thing i would say you know we kind of mentioned this before but on transitions like in my opinion, take it easy. Um, that's not where the race is won or lost. Uh, unfortunately, though, well, if, come find me. We're at the same race, and I will ride the transitions as slow as you want because that's my jam. But I, enduro, you know, people talk about the vibe, and it, it is a great vibe, and it's fun. You get to ride with your buddies, but um, pretty much I feel like I've ended up at most enduros riding the day by myself for the most part because i go so slow on the transitions nobody wants to wait for me <laughs> that's, that's okay true. every race we've raced I, I i rode slow with you on the transitions well <laughs> i was thinking about that actually i said i was about to say except for when i raced with kyle at springfield um yeah 
Or heck, but, even Arkansas. I think we I think we, we transitioned pretty much the same in Arkansas for the most part. I think I might have even been slower than you at this on the transition. I think you're thinking Ryan. Was I I don't think I was with you on that one. Or did we race Kohler? Did you ever race Kohler? Any year? I've done it three times. I don't I remember. So. I can't I can't remember it actually. And I don't think well, they're probably not having it this year, but even if they were, I don't know if I'd be doing that one. All right, one last. Well, I'll do one last one fast. Uh, now, this isn't really so much as a, of a tip as it is just a preference, but I have found that I definitely prefer the if I need extra water, that more than just one bottle on the bike, I definitely prefer the hip pack with an extra bottle over a backpack. Um, for a couple reasons, it's it's cooler. I feel like it doesn't trap. Backpacks, they're, I mean, the one I have is pretty good, but it does trap a little heat on your back. And I think just having the weight on my shoulders, I've, I've ridden with a backpack before where my lower back started hurting. And I just find that doesn't happen with a hip pack. So, you know, if you're, if you're on the fence about investing in a good um, hip pack, I say do it. I think we all, or at least Kyle and I have the Bontrager Rapid Pack. And it fits nice and snug. I forget it's money, there. Though. It's a good one. Like I don't have any pack. problems with it. Keeps the bottle centered. I know some people it might scare them to have a bottle centered like where your spine is, but unless your water bottle's like made out of metal, it's probably really like if you're hit if you land that hard, it's gonna just squish that bottle. I would assume. Yeah. yeah. No, unless you unless you unless you're putting a Nalgene in there or something. Yeah, I don't do that. I've been running a hit back on the dirt bike. It's pretty awesome. Oh yeah, man, dude. you're Woods guy now. Forgot about yeah, that. With a yeah. with a with a bladder in it. Yeah. Nice. Huh. One and a half liters. It's pretty sweet. All right, so that's yeah, my that's random. That's my random preference thing. That it's just for me. You guys have one a little a quirk or something you don't see everybody doing or worrying about. Do we all do we all ride clipless? On race day? Yeah, we do. Yeah. I do. Yeah, I do. Okay. And I I honestly think it has saved me several times, primarily with hard pedal strikes. I've had some really hard pedal strikes where I just cannot imagine that if I had done that with flat pedals, that of my foot leg wouldn't have like blown off the pedal and who knows what would have happened. Um, I've smacked trees dead on my toe and rocks and just managed to kind of swap for a second and keep going whereas if i wasn't clipped in i don't know but if I'll, you're not comfortable doing it don't do it <laughs> i'll make a for comment. your first time on a race day yeah i'll make a comment to kind of go off that what not to bring on race day is anything new no new setup yeah. no new settings on the bike no new gear you should have at least tried everything out because you don't want to be uh finding out that you don't like a, a suspension setting or a new tire or you don't like a, a hit pack, and that's all you got to get you through the day. Man, I even did something as simple as a new helmet, which, like, I, you know, a new helmet for race day, you wouldn't think anything of it. But the one that I bought has uh, removable pads to kind of, like, custom select it. So I, I, I tried it on, you know, in my house, and I put the pads in that I thought fit my head the best. But when I realized that, like, you, when, you're in a, when you're in an aggressive riding position, you know, like, going down something steep, your head is looking up, like, to see it. And I, my back pad that rubbed on my neck was way too big. And I, I I was uncomfortable the entire race day because I never spent a full day in that in that lid yet. So I actually had to change the pad out when I got when I got home after that. That's interesting. Yeah, because huh. I didn't think I thought a helmet for sure. You know, a helmet would you know, a fresh helmet, fresh of the goggles. You know what I mean? Like you would just be comfortable in new gear all day. But I I wish that I had spent more time on that on that setup before I went out there. All right, I think that'll work for for today as far as our enduro stuff so here's the question boys um let's just hypothetically suppose i cannot i i the things i think i might know did not come from kyle just throw that out here but let's suppose that the new slash is very similar to the old but it bumps up 160 rear 170 front big fork um a little bit steeper seat tube maybe half a degree or so slacker and but let's say that it comes in a blue that looks pretty good. Here's the question: Does Clint sell his current bike 
which, by the way, uh, just got its suspension completely serviced, like damp, full damper, everything, front and rear. Um, just got a 200 mil rotor put on the rear over the 180. So it's pretty sweet. Would make a great bike for someone who wanted to buy it. But does Clint sell his bike this year and upgrade now or run it another year and let another year's worth of value come out of it? And this is like a pseudo classified ad. Yeah, kind of. New bike day. Every day is new bike day. (laughs) What do you think, Ryan? Oh, I think I think if there's changes, you gotta go. You gotta go with something new, right? Oh, gosh, it's a, a real talk though. It depends on how cool it looks. <laughs> I mean, honestly, yeah, I think cool looking. Yeah, if it's the colors be. suck, I'm not doing it because my bike just now looks the way I want it. Um, I'll post okay. a picture on our Facebook page of it. You Most know, people who listen conundrum. probably have seen it. I'm kind of in this conundrum. Like, if if the remedy really doesn't doesn't change other than the shock i'll just i'll just right. you know I, I i'm digging my color i'm digging my setup i like the bike probably just gonna run it and maybe swap now, the shock ryan, ryan what year's yours yours is a 19 or a 20 mine's a 20 it is a 20 yeah okay now if i do keep it i am gonna end up i let uh the shop let chris of the shop I called him. I was like, hey, if you haven't ordered that stem yet, don't, because I might end up selling my bike anyway. And then what's the point? You know, I'll have had it for like a week. But if I end up keeping this bike and if the stem is still available, I might take it. But the other part of me is like, well, they designed the thing with 50 mil stem for a reason, right? Like, I am a believer that the engineers typically like don't just do things randomly. Um, no, I, I it's agree. not like I have the, a, the guys that get. No, they, yeah, the guys that get paid hundreds of thousand dollars a year to figure out what works with what thing from Trek or Santa Cruz or Specialized or whoever, like those guys know a thing or two about designing bikes. And I, I think the way they, the way they design it out of the box, aside from small preferences, that's the way that bike meant to be ridden. To me, it was just yeah. to, uh, just it was really more about the reach. It wasn't anything about trying like going downhill or whatever. It was more about seated pedaling. So what I might do is give another shot at scooting my seat a little more forward on the rails again, but, but raising my post up higher um, and see if I could go that route to get it a little closer, but eh, it's honestly, it's not to that be fair too, an issue. To be fair to the other deciding factor for you, Clint would be is if uh Trek releases the slash in an 18 and a half, you, you, that, that would be, you know what? that is, that'd be the deal breaker for you for sure. If they do. Yeah. I mean, I know they will in aluminum, or they already do in an aluminum frame, which I would, if, this is the model I wish Trek would make. I wish they'd make the, basically, the 9.8 build kit, but with an aluminum frame. Like, same, same suspension, same wheels, same drivetrain, everything the same, but with an aluminum frame, maybe aluminum bars, I wouldn't care about that, but... And then just knock off the price, you know, thousand bucks. And if someone wants to pay for carbon and save, you know, a pound or two and wait, they can. But what I don't like is like, not only do aluminum frames go down in the material price of the frame, but they always come with like, you know, I think the last one, the, was it the slash eight is like the highest build aluminum frame comes with like a Yari fork. Really? (laughs) You know? At least put a low end lyric on the thing or something. Well, I mean, like the Yark, the Yari and the lyric are the same fork. It's just pretty much internal. So like the damper, deeper, yeah, the damper is different. Yeah, but it, but I because like but I think that's about it though because drivetrain is the same. The aluminum one does have the aluminum wheels though. So like you would want aluminum bike carbon wheels. Yeah, yeah. Why not? Okay. I I like, you know, this, I'm not very bro about this, but. I'm going to run inserts no matter what. So I like carbon wheels because I never have to true them or mess with them. Like they just stay straight. (laughs) That's, that's the main reason I love carbon wheels is they're always straight. And I think they're just as like something that would damage 
uh, carbon wheel is going to damage would damage an aluminum wheel. Now you might be able to fix the aluminum one on the spot. That's the difference, but right. I'm going to run inserts anyway. Like I love, I like the way they feel. I like being able to just huck it into some rocks and not worry about it. So it doesn't really matter if I'm running aluminum or carbon. I'm running the insert anyway. Uh, right now I'm running Victoria airliners. And I really like them. And so, yeah, if I, if I can afford it, give me the carbon wheels and then I don't even have to worry about them. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, and I, I, that would be surprising. I don't think we'll ever see that. I don't think we'll ever see a factory build aluminum frame with the pro level fork and suspension and carbon wheels. That would just, that would be a weird build that I don't think many people would, would, would do. It's weird to me that like, like common saw, right. They only make aluminum frames. They don't even have a carbon frame, but it's weird to me. Like, I don't think they offer a bike with carbon wheels, which I guess fits with their, you know, they say it's their philosophy. This could be another rant about, uh, are, are carbon frames worse for the environment than aluminum, which I think is ridiculous. For the environment? What? Yeah, don't you see this on Pinkbike? No, I'm glad I don't go on Pinkbike, no. except for to look. No. Oh, people I... think carbon frames, because they're made of carbon, are, you know, worse for the world. But I'm like, what? it's a byproduct. Like, they get the material for it from a little bitty hole in the ground, and then it's a byproduct coming out of the refinery where your gasoline's made, which you need, whether you think you do or not versus have you ever seen a bauxite mine where they mine aluminum alloy? Like, <laughs> right. It's like a huge giant pit. So yeah, maybe the aluminum can be recycled, but I'm just not worried about that. But yeah, I like carbon wheels. I, 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 if you told me you can have a carbon frame and aluminum wheels, um, or an aluminum frame and carbon wheels and all the other components the same, I'm probably doing the aluminum frame carbon wheels, which I know is like opposite of what most people would say. But yeah, interesting. I, I don't know. I, I feel like I've been in carbon carbon stuff for so long now. I don't, I don't think I'd ever go back to an aluminum frame really. I mean, like I, obviously I've got aluminum bikes that I love and enjoy and it doesn't bother me, but like I, I've been in a carbon, my main, my main squeeze trail bike has been a carbon bike now for like five years or six yeah. years. So no, I'd rather have carbon if I, if all things being equal, but if it's like, let's say everything's the same except uh, aluminum and a thousand dollars, I'll, I'll take thousand dollars in the aluminum. Okay. I'm racing my aluminum bike in a, in a week, in, in a week and a half. You're not going to do big hitters. No, dude. I love that. That trail is so much fun on my single speed, man. I, I, that, and that single speed bike I got is hilariously fun to ride. Did and you tell me, though, band. last I'm, time you I'm, raced I'm, it even, that you were, like, spinning out everywhere? No. Uh, I spun out in the flat. But, like, I still I still won the single speed class, me and the three of us. <laughs> <laughs> it was like me Ryan, and Mark. are going to race? Okay. No, I'll be out of town, dude. I know. If I was... I, w- I would love to do it. I'd I'd take the inserts out of my tires if I was doing it. But it's uh, such a trail, dude. Like, I might. I'm, I'm like half debating debating on doing the race with Connor on the Mac ride. To be honest with you. If I was in town, I'd do it with you. That's pretty. That sounds fun. Yeah, but, yeah, but Connor's Connor's getting a sweet new mountain bike for his birthday the day before. So Connor's gonna race the kids' class actually on his new mountain bike. He doesn't oh, know that sweet. yet, but he's going to. Oh, yeah. I'm sweet. pretty pumped for him. All right, guys. Well, I will do my best to get this edited quickly, get it out there to the world. You know, our our legions and legions of loyal fans demand. Uh, Where can they check us out at? Uh, they well, if they're listening, they've already checked us out. But we, if you're if you have a preferred podcast app and you're on one you don't like, or if you're listening directly through like a web browser. We should be on all the major podcast apps, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Google Podcasts, um, our website. Definitely check us out on Facebook. Just look up in the search bar, World's Okayest Mountain Bike Podcast. Um, Again, you can always email us questions or comments at okayestmtb at gmail.com. And I think that's it. I think we're good. We're, We're well over an hour now, so it's time to go very nice see you next time awesome
All right. Thanks, guys. Yep.